Have you ever wondered how a certain person got their current job? What about this person stood out to the employer? How did they rise above hundreds of other candidates? On this podcast, I aim to find out the exact path professionals in all sorts of fields took to get to where they are today. It's, wow, how'd you get that job? Why, hello, it's Ryan Glanzer, and welcome back to, wow, how'd you get that job? When I graduated college and headed out to find a job in the web development graphic design field, of course I checked in with some of the companies or industries I really would have liked to work in. Baseball, TV, travel, working not just in my field of expertise, but also in an industry that interested me would have been ideal. I think most people probably have to settle for one or the other, a job in their field or a job perhaps not directly aligning to their field, but in an industry of interest. As it was, I found a design job at a company that manufactured CD and DVD printers and duplication equipment. Certainly not the dream industry, especially since the beginning of the end of optical media was right around the corner. As I've said before, I had trouble finding new jobs in the Twin Cities market in the late 2000s. In 2011, after hundreds of applications and only a handful of interviews, my wife and I entertained the idea of moving out of Minnesota, and I shifted my job search to the national level. Without a real relocation city in mind, that left it wide open for me to seek out jobs in industries that interested me. At the top of my list was working in the sports industry in some fashion. After exhaustive searching, applying, and interviewing, I had a few different offers to choose from, but only one that was in that industry that actually appealed to me. So I took that job, and in June 2011, I relocated to Austin, Texas to begin working as an interactive merchandising coordinator for Callaway Golf Interactive. I was, and remain, the worst adult male golfer that I've ever seen in my life, and I think my former colleagues there would fully attest to that. Um, But hey, I was now working for a company whose products might appear on SportsCenter instead of the back page of some church magazine or something. So I was happy. In my five-plus years of working at Callaway, I tended to notice there were two types of employees, people who loved golf and sought out a job in the golf industry, and people who just found a job applicable to their skills at a company that happened to be in the golf industry. Today's guest is someone who has managed to find his way into what most people would consider fun industries over the course of his career. Nate Stout has a background in business, but had grown up playing golf and even went to a golf college in Orlando, and as a result found his calling at Callaway Golf, a company he worked for for about a decade, of course where he and I met. And after his days in the golf industry came to an end, Nate wound up in another enviable leisure industry that he had a passion for, working as a sales manager for a fishing and outdoors company. So, in the illustrious career of Nate Stout, work has oftentimes meant either testing out golf clubs on the course or taking a boat out on the lake. How how does this guy do it? Well, we're going to find out. Nate Stout, welcome to the show, sir. Thanks, Ryan. How are you? I'm doing great, Nate. How about yourself? It's it's uh, been a been a few years. Yeah, it's been a it's been a minute. Um, but we had some very you know cherished days in my in my memory uh, back at Callaway, and I, I'm glad to hear you're doing well. And this podcast is like it's 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 very exciting. I mean, I reached out to you because I was like, holy cow, this is actually kind of a cool it's a cool idea that that no one's really doing. So. Glad to be a part of it. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, well, I like to get to the bottom of every career story. The people who out there who say, oh, my job's not interesting, you shouldn't interview me, that's not true. They, uh, Even uh, <laughs> the dentist or the farmer, whoever, they all have some sort of story that someone might find interesting yeah. or helpful. So I, I'm sure yeah. yours will be just the same. Um, uh, what- of course. Well, I almost I almost forced this upon you because I felt like my, my story was so interesting <laughs> It was the perfect candidate for this show. Yeah, it so. very well could be. I, I truly don't know your story, so we're going to find out together today on the show. Okay. Um, yeah, why don't you go yeah. ahead and tell us just a, a little bit about yourself? Okay, so I'm from a small town in Indiana. Uh, you know, the kind of small town in Indiana where you know basketball and football rule, and I played golf and tennis, so that gives you a little bit of my history. Um, went to school to. I, you know, I, I thought I was either going to be in computer science or business, and computer science was probably the more profitable choice to pick in 1999. But uh, for whatever reason, I chose business. And through a couple different career or uh, school choices, I ended up um, at IU in Bloomington. And then 
all of my friends were getting recruited by Deloitte or DeWalt, not, you know, they didn't have to be D companies, but there are all these companies that had a great kind of training program. And it was a very, what could have been a great entrepreneurial time. They kind of gave us like, Hey, take the safe route, right? Take the place that's going to give you a great 401k and great benefits, a great training program, that kind of thing. And so that really didn't like suit me. So after my junior year of IU, I, I actually went to a golf school in Florida. It was a um, an associate's degree program, uh, which, you know, it's fine. But as I got up in years, I realized it was a for-profit school, so maybe not the most uh, academically stringent place I could have gone. And <clears throat> I spent uh, two years down there, came back, finished my bachelor's degree. And because I had kind of made some connections in the golf world, uh, my first real real job opportunity was to work at Callaway Golf in California. So uh, I moved there in 2005. So I graduated in 99. So you can tell I took a little extra time. Um, but from there, uh, I was in sales operations, which you know wasn't a business uh, function necessarily, but it taught me so much about you know, kind of the inner workings of, of that company. And I was there for almost 11 years uh, until I, I moved into this new company called Johnson Outdoors, which is a, uh, a conglomerate of outdoor brands. And I can go into more detail later, but essentially I'm in a fishing group where I sell uh, trolling motors and fish finders. I manage like 14 sales reps across the Midwest. And that's my that's my current job today. So that, in a nutshell, I went from golf to fishing. Uh, so I love uh, I love leisurely activities. So you can say. Wow. Well, well, that's the show, everybody. Thanks for listening. Uh, that's Nate's career. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, yeah, Keep I guess I, right there. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a very envious uh, set of jobs there, working in the golf industry and mm-hmm. the fishing industry. Um, I'm sure a lot of people are wondering how the hell do I break through into something fun like that, but we'll get to that in a minute. Why don't you tell everybody about what actually, you said your job title was a regional sales manager. So what's your day-to-day look like uh, at Johnson? So today, I, I like I said, I have about a 14, 15 sales reps that, uh, that manage the business between the Dakotas, which is, you know, special to your heart. Oh, of course. All the way over to, uh, all the way over to Pennsylvania. And believe it or not, um, in the marine industry, you know, boating, accessories, things like that, there's still two-step distribution. So uh, about 60% of my business still goes through a distributor and then goes to a dealer, then to the consumer. And so my day-to-day operations are really, um, so we're, you know, it's crazy to say, but we're almost heading into fall. Uh, we're at the end of July. And in September, October, I'm going to book a significant portion of my business into distribution for 2020. And then from there, I I rely on my sales reps to manage what we've sold in and then manage replenishment. So a lot of what I do today is is really reviewing, you know, demand reports and sell-through reports and making sure that we don't have out-of-stocks at key customers Um, and and really just kind of managing a, a really big piece of business uh, through, you know, these 14 salespeople that I have. Did you have to, uh, interview and hire all of those 14 yourself or did you have any, uh, at least any hand or say in that? No. And, and you know, what's interesting. Uh, it's another, I, can, I think a kind of a unique thing for the, the marine industry. Most people are most brands in the space. They actually use uh, a third party distribution model. So, the 14 sales reps that I manage are actually third-party uh, distributor reps or uh, distribution reps. Oh. So they work for a, a specific agency, right? Uh, the interesting thing, though, is like the Johnson Outdoors business for the company that I manage is about 70% of their total volume. So while they don't report to me directly, it's, it's uh, very important that they hit their numbers, not only from my perspective, but for their own you know, financial purposes. Hmm. Okay. I see. I see. Yeah. So 
outside of the uh, the office type work, I imagine oh. that you do have to test out the equipment and kind of know what you're doing with the uh, the fishing gear, right? Yeah. So that was actually one of the one of the things that kind of drew me to this job is that I was a Callaway, not really looking for anything in particular, but I just kind of testing the waters. And I've always been an an avid fisherman. I like to hunt. I like so I like the outdoors. And when I when I took the interview, uh, my first interview was with my now boss, and he just kind of gave me the lay of the land. You know, like all right, here's what you're gonna do from day to day, and it all sounded great. And then and then he goes, one of the greatest gigs or perks of this gig is that you get a uh, you get a demo boat, and I'm like what demo uh, yeah <laughs> yeah what's a demo boat so every year so since 2016 i've gotten a a 20 foot triton either a, a walleye boat or a fish and ski type boat and basically what what i do is i get um i get to use the boat for the season and in exchange i get to put our product on those boats so i get a, i put a mencota trolling motor on i put a couple of humber fish finders maybe a a shallow water anchor, which is one other thing that we sell, uh, battery charger, those kinds of things. And the amount of the dollar amount that I put in from a free product perspective actually kind of washes out the, you know, the, the demo, uh, depreciation. So hmm. when I heard that, I was like, that's really cool. And since then, you know, that, that is part of my job. I have to, I have to know how the, how the product works. Just like I would compare it to golf, but it's a little bit different. I mean, it's more of a system, uh, versus, you know, if you have a golf club and you whack a ball with it, you know, that's, you know, that's about all it takes. <laughs> but with, with a, with an electronic system like Humminbird and Minkota talking to each other, you have to make sure that it's, it's working correctly. You have to make sure there's no lag. You have to make sure that that you understand the functions within the menu system to get it to do whatever function you want. So believe it or not, there is, there is a bit of, you know, on the water trial that you have to do. And it's, it's obviously it's fun. And I try my best not to bring uh, fishing equipment when I do it, but oddly enough, it seems to find its way into my boat. So I end up doing a little bit of work, a little bit of fun. And it's, it's pretty awesome. So it's like one day a week you're out on the water and the rest you're in the house or how does that work out? I would say, um, just because of the amount of, you know, paperwork and approvals that I have to do, it's probably once every two weeks I'll, I'll get out on the water and, um, you know, being a little bit of a novice, um, you know, to be able to launch, a you know, a, a 20 foot boat by yourself and to, to, uh, put it back on the trailer by yourself. It's, it's a little challenging. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a little nerve wracking. Um, but yeah, I, I try to do that uh, at least once every couple of weeks because at the end of the day, the worst thing you can do is not know your product. Um, I, I fish in two uh, big tournaments every year uh, and they're actually sponsored by two of my distributors. And if you don't know what you're doing, I mean, that's like a major, you know, uh, it's a, it's just a bad look if you don't right. if you don't know how to back you know if you don't know how to back a trailer you don't have to launch a boat or put it on a trailer it just kind of kills your your you know your uh, your equity within within the industry so I try to do that as much as I can just to just to build that understanding that I'm that I'm not a an idiot yeah <laughs> well I, I know what you're saying yeah it's hard it's hard to back when I'm, I remember my uh, ex brother-in-law having the worst time like he held up like. 20 people while he tried yeah. hopelessly to back this trailer up to, to the, get a, to yeah. get my brother out of the lake once. It was uh, one of the funniest damn things ever. All oh, people were uh, mad. He could not do it. Every turn uh, he took was wrong. So yeah, there's, that, there's so many great, there's so many great like YouTube videos of people putting boats in the water, like <laughs> where sometimes the, the truck and trailer end up in the lake. It's, it's pretty nerve wracking, no yeah. question. You put the boat down before it's in the water or something, maybe. Or... Yeah, right. Yeah. Now, do you also have to like know every fish somebody catches this, and you're like, oh yeah, that's a red bass angler. I don't know. <laughs> right. You know, uh, yeah, know your fish now. Yeah, that's a, 
it's a moon eye. No, yeah, there's <laughs> believe it or not, luckily for me, I am I am in ninety nine percent freshwater. Um I do have some people that go up into New York and you know, maybe they the, maybe their customers will travel out to the East Coast, but uh I'm all freshwater so I don't have to mem- you know, memorize every weird colored shad that you know you might catch mm-hmm. so it's, it's usually it's usually pretty straightforward i'll tell you my people are very focused on smallmouth bass largemouth bass crappies walleye and perch i would say that's 95 percent of it you know obviously you have some catfishers and believe it or not catfishing is becoming a huge thing where these people are they're spending so much money on these rigs to go on these you know creek river systems and they're bow fishing uh, flatheads. Um, it, it's a wild deal. But yeah, thank God I don't have to because I've been saltwater fishing quite a bit. And literally, if you're jigging a piece of shrimp or you're doing whatever, you could catch a different fish every time. You're like, what is this thing? Right. <laughs> I know it has teeth. <laughs> you know what is this? Yeah. So I. It, is it, uh, do, you, do you get into ice fishing at all, or is it just uh, water boat type of stuff? No, nope, I do get I do get into ice fishing, and that's that's a growing part of our business. So that's and, where uh, most of my fishing say, experience lies is on the is on the ice. Ah, yeah. nice, yeah. nice. Yep. So I went I went ice fishing for the first time actually this past year. So I started in in April of 2016. And then I, I went ice fishing in probably March of 2019. So it took me almost three full years to get on the ice. And being from Indiana, you know, the common joke is uh, if you ice fish here, you're going to die. Because, you know, as soon as you feel like it's um, strong enough or thick enough to go on the water, that's when someone goes through the ice and, you know, it's a terrible deal. But mm-hmm. up north, <laughs> I was on a lake. Uh, about an hour north of Minneapolis, where they literally had 28 inches of ice, and it was a very clear lake, and uh, there was some snow on the ground, but where people had kind of brushed the snow away or it had blown away on the on the on the ramp, it was just surreal to me to be able to walk out, and I know that the water below me is about eight feet, and I and I can see clear to the bottom. It was the craziest thing ever. Huh. Um, but ice fishing is spectacular it is if you have the right equipment if you have a nice shanty uh you know they make a lot of pop-up structures now so we make a product um that has and ryan you'll be familiar with this like a flasher mode so a little circle the little dial where you see the bottom of the lake and you see your jig mm-hmm. um we we make that now with with some more modern technology and it is i mean <laughs> and i hate to say that you know, my whole career has been about doing things that you can drink beer while doing. But uh, ice fishing is unbelievable. I mean, you get a you get a you know twelver of Miller Lite, and you go out, you find a couple holds, you throw the pop up stand over it, mm-hmm. you're out of the wind. You know, you get the little buddy going, and you just catch fish all day. It, it is it is awesome. I love ice fishing. Yes, yes. Well, now that we're all sold on this is a really cool job. We got to back up a ways and find out everything, every step of the way that you took to get to this point so that others can emulate you. <laughs> exactly. What did you think you were going to be when you were a kid? So when I was a kid, believe it or not, I thought I was going to be a farmer. So my, my grandparents, uh, they were big farmers and, you know, back in the late eighties, early nineties, if you farmed, you know, 800 to 1,000 acres, that was a sustainable farm. I mean, you could make decent money every year and maybe have a little bit of livestock, not nothing crazy, but that was a big farm. And unfortunately for me, I was, I was a little too young to take that over when they retired. So I ended up kind of being lost. And, you know, I was more playing farm than actually thinking about taking a farm. So I thought I was actually going to be a farmer. Hmm. Um, yeah, so that was a, a little bit of, ch- you know, a bit of a change up when I went to college for sure. Yeah. I, I lived on a farm and I never really thought I would be a farmer. I don't think I was always thinking, uh, something in a city, 
now staying on the yeah. farm is never never uh never in the question yeah. for me but um so you you get into high school and you start thinking more realistically about career and i think you already went into this a little bit you kind of had it narrowed down yeah. to a couple of areas and then what you ended up saying you're going to go the business route what did that look like when you decided to uh end up you know choosing a school to study at was that like Indiana is a great school or it's just right down the road. They have a great, great business program or what did that look like for you? Yeah. You know, looking back on it and I, and I told my kids this and I, you know, I don't threaten them with the, uh, out of state tuition bill, but I, I, I really never looked outside of going, uh, outside of the state schools. So I grew up an IU basketball fan and, um, a little bit of a curveball here because I was so passionate about computer science because I, I knew, you know, I graduated in 1999 and I knew computers and, you know, I thought I was a real tough guy, uh, in, you know, in 1996 or seven, you know, I'm in school in high school and they're rolling out all these computers. And I, I found a way around, you know, their gaming blocks to, to load, you know, solitaire, <laughs> you know, on a, uh, um, you know, windows 90, 95 machine or whatever it was. And I was like, Oh, this is, this is, this is me. This is my calling. <laughs> well, <laughs> I actually, my, so my freshman year, I actually went to Purdue university, uh, engineering school, great academics. Um, and I spent about, I don't know, probably nine weeks there. And I was like, Holy crap. I am so in, I'm in so far over my head. I have no idea what's going on may have been a you know personality defect you never know but mm -hmm. i i was like this is not what i wanted to do long term and because i never really thought out of state i grew up an iu basketball fan uh i love steve alford which is a, a random reference and the calbert cheney fan was again you know iu guys that were you know that's been 30 years ago and uh i was like i'm gonna go to iu so I, so I transferred to IU and went to the business side of things. And then even though that I was there and I, I really did feel like that was the right path for me, it was a weird time. Um, you know, in the year 2000, actually 2001, I remember when 9-11 happened, I, I just had this whole, like, ex, you know, existential crisis. Like, what am I even doing? You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. what does this even mean? Why am I even in college? What a big... And I was I played golf from the time I was in middle school. Actually, I started when I was five, but I took it seriously in middle school. And so I started out looking for a golf school. And that's how I moved to Florida. So basically within uh, two and a half years, I was, in, I was at Purdue. I was at IU Bloomington. And then I, I moved to Orlando, Florida to go to a golf school. Wow. Is that something you can just get into or did you have to like prove you were good at golf or something? So, yeah, I would, I would assume now that I know it's, it's a for-profit academy, I would assume it's a lot easier to get in uh, now than it was when I, when I was there, <laughs> but they were just, they had just started. I mean, I think they started in like 1992. And so I was still pretty early in their, um, in their, you know, their business model. And so we did have to go down and basically take a, it wasn't like a playing test, but it was like a, a general fundamentals of the game. If you were completely terrible at golf, you know, maybe they did tell you they can't, you know, they wouldn't have you there. But um, I went down there, I played around the golf, one of the administrators. He's like, you're going to be great. What do you want to do? Do you want to be a PGA you know, instructor, do you want to be a, a, a club pro? What do you want to do? And I was like, uh, I don't want to do any of that. I want to hmm. be in the business, which was kind of a unique thing. Right. So, um, that was a, that was a really kind of weird point in my life because I was, I had moved to Florida by myself. I didn't know anybody. And, uh, I'll tell you, it was a, it was a pretty, you know, coming of age kind of moment for me for sure. Yeah, you. Uh, it sounds like that going to that school probably is what helped you land that Callaway gig then, which was your first job, mm -hmm. right? They looked at your resume and like, oh, you went to this golf school. Well, yeah. welcome aboard. So, yeah. So, and and I don't want to date you, Ryan, but so the internet was like this wild world of uh, 
possibilities back in 1993. And one of the things that I got from graduating um, in December of 93 was I got this uh, login to this uh, job posting site. And one of those jobs was a, uh, a tech rep job, which tech rep basically means you work for a golf brand and you travel around to country clubs and public courses and you basically try to sell product out of the trunk of your vehicle uh, for the summer. And so I did that and I did that for a whole summer and I was like, holy cow, this is like, this is really fun. I enjoy it. And so I talked to my my boss, quote unquote, who actually worked for Callaway. And I said, what is the opportunity to like work for the company? I mean, I know I'm a part-time person. He's like, yeah, you got to move to California if you really want an opportunity. And I was like, Ugh, California, <laughs> seems like, that seems like a bit of a stretch. Uh, but ultimately, that's how I found the sales operations job in Carlsbad. If I, I, I'm looking at your resume here, it looks like you had a brief stopover, though. You went from Callaway, then you would go to Verizon, and then back to Callaway. Is that is yeah. that accurate? Yeah. So, so I move. So I, and we got a lot of stories compressed into a little bit of time. But oh yeah, yeah. So, so I get married um, right before I finish my undergraduate in 2000, uh, 2004. And we get married, and that summer I am doing the uh, the uh, demo day job. And, you know, the opportunity is to move to California, and I just got married. I told my wife, I'm like, okay, we can do this together. And and credit to her, because if I wasn't married, I'm not sure I would, I would have the guts to actually move to California mm-hmm. all by myself. But it was the two of us, and I was like, hey, this is going to be an adventure. Let's go. And she's like, yeah, let's do it. So we're out there for about two years, and the pressures of the cost of living, and even though I learned a ton about the business, working in kind of a sales operations type role, it was invaluable. But I wanted to get back home, and I wanted to get into sales. Like That's, that's what I felt like my calling was, was like relationship uh, type conversations and and i found a job back at verizon which is about you know 20 miles from where i wanted to be back in indiana and i was going to get paid about one and a half times what i was making in southern california so from a uh you know affordability matrix perspective mm-hmm. now i i'm making bank right i you know i'm making good money and I'm back in Indiana where it goes a lot further than, than it does in California. So I did that for like a year and it was, it was uh business to business telecommunications, which was holy cow. Like I, I can't even imagine what that, what that uh, space is like now, but I did it for a year and I, it's not that I was unhappy, but it just, you know, I was fine with it. And my old boss from Indiana who had connections at Callaway said, Hey, they're looking for a, um, for a business development guy on the East coast. You should put your name in the hat. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, you've worked for them before. Why not? You know, just put your name out there. So next thing you know, I'm, I, I'm interviewing for this business development job for our corporate market business on the East coast. And, after a couple of rounds of interviews, I actually get it. And I go, <laughs> I go back to Callaway, but this time I'm actually working from home and traveling. <laughs> so you're, you're working from home out there for a while and flying back and yep. forth. And then all of a sudden it looks like you end up back in California doing something else for yeah. Callaway, right? Yeah. So as, as luck would have it, things are going great, right? I have, I just had my second kid. Uh, Matilda was about three and Jack was a newborn, newborn baby. And my boss at the time called me and said, Hey, uh, we need, and at the time too, for some context, Callaway had gone through a lot of restructuring in the, uh, you know, post 2008, obviously 2009, we had the major 
economic meltdown. And, and you can imagine, you know, a brand that's based 1000% on discretionary income. Uh, you know, we, we were, we were reeling a little bit. And so this was, uh, this was December of 2011 or I'm sorry, 2010. Uh, he said, Hey, um, we feel like the direct consumer business needs to get some attention and we feel like you are the right person to, uh, to manage it. And at the same time, he was kind of telling me that he's protecting me from a reorg. So I'm like, okay. Uh, like I said, he didn't put it in, in specific terms, but you could tell like something was going to happen to the organization. Yeah. So I talked to my wife and I'm like, okay, we have a three-year-old and a newborn baby. Um, you want to move back to California again? <laughs> this could be this could be fun. Uh, and but the opportunity was direct to consumer e-commerce, which which made me very excited because I I just felt like that was the way things were going to go, and I think they're continuing to go. It's like you have a relationship with the brand, and therefore you buy from that brand. And after many discussions. Uh, we decided in January of 2011 that we were going to move to California. And so my boss told me he would give me enough time to sell my house, you know, where it was and move back to San Diego. And, uh, we did that with, um, with no expectations of how it was going to go. And I'll be honest with you, it was this moment in my life was probably the most pivotal or pivotal, pivotal because I got to meet the guys from Austin and uh, you know, you were not that far behind Ryan when they hired you. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, clearly. Um, But it was a, a tremendous opportunity to learn about how digital marketing was changing and how the consumer purchase cycle was changing and how they were going to the brand site to get, you know, detailed product information and then potentially converting right there on that site. And so what's crazy and I'll, this is a good segue is like, this took me into a huge battle. Even though I was getting ready to move back to California, I was fighting a battle between my people in Austin who handled all the direct consumer business and the people in Carlsbad who handled what I would call the brand side of digital marketing it was a it was a wild time for sure wow yeah i i uh and that was right about the time i i joined the team in june of 2011 so uh yeah i I saw your face around the office a lot and uh thought this guy must be pretty important he's flying out here all the time um (laughs) didn't really ever understand fully what you were doing to be honest but uh it seemed like whenever you came to the office it was uh something something important was happening. <laughs> yeah. You're kind of the liaison well, of sorts between the two offices. It seemed like if there was a connection between Carlsbad and Austin, it was Nate Stout. Yeah. And that, and that was actually the, I mean, that was 95% of it was, I wasn't, I, I didn't really do anything other than kind of, you know, create that dialogue between our, our brand uh, marketing side of our business and you know ryan and or ryan randy and tom and seth who were you know the pillars of our commerce business and they understood what a powerful you know piece they were but it was just uh it was a constant battle and um you know for me being totally candid i got thrown in here because i was kind of a loyal part of this of this part of the industry or the business that like, you know, it's like the traditional side, right? I was doing traditional sales. I was doing uh, <clears throat> our corporate channel and they felt like they needed someone to like literally be a liaison. And that's, that's the job that I took. Hmm. But what I did was I, I just learned so much from Tom and Randy. I mean, and then, you know, they would tell me authors, which is something I'll, I'll say is, changed my trajectory significantly is they would just say, Hey, there's this blogger, there's this author 
who have written these books. And one of the first books that I read was Avinash Kaushik's uh, Web Analytics 2.0. And it, it just, I just submersed myself into that, that world. I had no idea what it all meant. Um, I had no idea what analytics really were. Um, but it gave me an, an understanding of like, holy cow, this is where everything's going. And for that reason, you know, I give Tom and Randy a ton of credit uh, that they were able to make me, because I honestly feel like I was kind of just a, a figurehead between Carlsbad and Austin. Um, to your point, you're like, oh, Nathan Town, something must be going on. It's not like I did anything. It's <laughs> like I was carrying, I was like a messenger, right? Yeah. So. Well, I guess we could sit here all day and talking about the the Callaway years, but eventually you're out there for eight years or so or whatever, and it looks like at some point you must have kind of got uh, homesick for Indiana again. Is that is that kind of what led you to maybe looking at this Johnson job, or uh, did that job find you? And it just like, oh my goodness, it's in Indiana. What an opportunity! <laughs> yeah, so it was obviously it was an awesome opportunity to go back to California. Um, as anyone listening will know the cost of living is incredible out there um, in a bad way. <laughs> but um, so my wife, so, you know, credit to her, she's an amazing woman, but she had moved uh, four times for my job. And each of those times she had tried to, you know, basically situate herself in whatever city we were living in. And um, she got an opportunity close to home, about 20 miles from home you know, where both our parents lived. And uh, she said, this is kind of a cool thing. I'm like, what is it? And she's like, well, it's the uh, the director and slash president of United Way for this, this county. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's like right where we grew up. So she kind of put her name in the hat just kind of arbitrarily because I've been pushing for her to, like, do something big. And she didn't feel like she was even going to get a call back. But she did, and next thing you know, she got the job. So we're living in Southern California. She has a really good job opportunity back in the Midwest in Indiana, and I'm like, uh, crap. <laughs> I'm gonna have to figure out how to position this to my boss. And, and basically, what I did was I said, "All right, his name is Glenn." I said, "Glenn, uh, I love this company, and..." Um, I don't want to leave this company, but I have to move back to Indiana. And here are the reasons why. And what I did was I took, I took a little bit of, uh, uh, I just basically made a presentation and said, here are the benefits of me working from the Midwest based on the accounts that I was doing at the time. So I'd moved on from the e-commerce side of things and I was doing mass merchants. So I had Walmart target, Meyer and Amazon. So Amazon's obviously a West Coast company. Uh, Walmart, Target, and Meyer are obviously Midwest companies. So I did a, like a cost-benefit analysis of me living centrally. Just so happens to be Indiana. And I said <laughs> this would this would be the benefit of me living here. And I don't want to I I don't want to leave the company. But here's here's what I'm proposing. And he said I'll give you six months. And uh, I was like, that's, that's fair. I will take that. And six months turned into, you know, three and a half years. So, Well, it's very smart. That's a good, uh, good tip out there for all of you. Come up with a presentation with some, uh, analysis that would help prove your point. Yeah. And even if it's, even if it's overstated, right. I mean, yeah, I took, I took the most expensive flight from San Diego to Bentonville and I took the least expensive flight from Indianapolis to Bentonville, mm -hmm. even though I, you know, I'm not going to fly at, you know, five in the morning to through Atlanta, you know, back to Bentonville, but it's, it's, you have to make your case. You can't expect employers, especially today. Like I think about it now and it, it is cost conscious as everyone is. If that's the standard, I would, I would assume but you have to make that argument. If you're not making that argument, you're not going to even get a chance. But if you make the argument in an eloquent way and you you know, put some thought into it, I, I think that 
it gives you a significant um, head start over the competition for sure. So you're back in Indiana now, and at some point you're like, this Johnson job presented itself, if I remember you correctly. It uh, it was one of these things where you kind of threw your name in the hat, and once it kind yeah. of started to look like it, it was a good chance, then you pursued that And it, while you were still at Callaway and then had a tough decision to make. Do you take the Johnson job or or, or, or not? Is that what kind of what it came right. down to? Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I kind of knew my limitations. We'd, we'd been here for, you know, three and a half years, and – my son was almost four and my daughter was, you know, seven and, uh, things were great. And I felt like because I was at the time doing a different job with, like I said earlier with the math merchants, if, uh, if, if I had to move up, the only way I was going to move up was to go back to San Diego. And I just knew that wasn't the right thing for our family. And so uh, I just honestly got, I just started looking at brands that I liked. Uh, like I said earlier, I'm, I like to hunt, I like to fish. And so I started putting out, um, just going to their website, to, to the brand websites, the career opportunities tab. And I was looking for anything. And, and frankly, uh, I got lucky because I, I found a national sales manager job. But if if I were a younger person, any opportunity to get into a company or a brand that you like is, is worth taking the risk. Um, if you came out of college trying to be a, you know, some sort of, you know, data analyst and there's a credit job open, it's worth taking the risk to get in there and to, to kind of immerse yourself in that brand's culture because then you can say, well, look, I have all these skills and I can move laterally or I can move up or whatever. And, um, I mean, that was, that's critical when you're thinking about trying to get into a cool job that you want. So I started looking on brand websites. I didn't find much. Uh, I found this regional sales manager job on this, this, uh, job posting board called outdoor industry jobs. It seemed almost fake. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, I, I really didn't put a whole lot of thought to it, but I sent my resume and a very nonchalant cover letter because I wasn't sure that it was actually a thing. And next thing you know, I get a, an email and a, an appointment to take a phone call. And I'm like, holy cow, this is actually, <laughs> this is actually a real thing. <laughs> and, uh, when, when I had the interview, it was such a, you know, an interesting, you know, juxtaposition. I'm having the interview outside of the national Walmart vendor sales meeting. And if any of your listeners have been to a Walmart vendor sales meeting, they'll know the type of anguish that that that, that whole experience is. You have hmm. to go in, you have to act like you love the Walmart mission statement. They literally make you do the Walmart chant here. <laughs> Uh, it, it makes you want to jump off the highest building in Manhattan. No question. But, um, yeah, so that's how I got here. Wow. So I I was going to ask, like, there must've been hundreds of people applying for this, uh, this job. What did you do to stand out? But according to you, it was just, (laughs) you didn't really do anything special. Your resume must've just spoken for itself. The, the work experience and the education must've just stood out to the, uh, the employer here, huh? Actually, that's not true. So what's interesting about these, especially these smaller industries, is that they they would have preferred to hire someone from another fishing-type business. And they told me, you know, after I interviewed, like, that's what they were going over. Like, do we take someone who's kind of out of this industry and has a unique perspective, or do we take someone who's, you know, who knows the fishing business? And I think that's, that's one, um, I think opportunity for people is like, if you don't think that your, your knowledge or your skill set applies, it's actually an advantage if you're non, you know, not in that industry because people look and say, well, you know, he's been with this company. We know that's how they do things, but if you bring a unique perspective, 
that's actually more powerful than being just a run of the mill rep or, you know, marketing person, um, having a unique perspective is actually what allows these companies, especially in these smaller industries, they're looking for new blood because they re- it's a very close, just like golf. It's a close knit industry and they're looking for some new blood, some new excitement. And uh, if you bring that and you bring that kind of passion, it, it'll actually, I think, pay significant dividends for you. Hmm, interesting. So what did the uh, interview process look like? Did you take us through maybe the, <laughs> the final interview or something with, is it some tough questions? You're one on, you're, you're on one side of the table and like eight bosses on the other side and you're getting grinded with questions <laughs> yeah. or how, how'd that go down? So it's a funny story. So I, I knew that even though it was an outdoor business type of thing, I was going to wear a suit and tie, right? Everybody should. And so I go to the security office. I said, Hey, I need, I need to meet so-and-so at the security office. And they're like, okay, I'll be right down. And this guy comes down in a full, like three piece suit, which it's not that I didn't expect someone in the fishing business to be in a three piece suit, but it just felt like, Holy cow. Are they taking this more? <laughs> Cause I was in just a regular suit and long story short. So Johnson outdoors is, was started by, Sam Johnson from SC Johnson Wax in Racine, Wisconsin. So they also own Johnson Bank, which is a significant, I mean, it's a huge player, especially in the North Midwest. Um, but long story short, the guy whose name I said I was there to meet was very close to a guy from a different division in Johnson Bank. He's like, um, I'm not sure who you're here to meet with, but he's not here. He's in Phoenix. And I'm like, I just talked to this guy yesterday. He was like, he's like, what, what position specifically? I was like, regional manager fishing. He's like, Oh my God, let's go back downstairs. <laughs> so I started that whole interview off with a giant, like I, I should have thrown up because it was, it was such a, you know, jarring experience, but, I will say that the thing that I did that probably set me apart was I, I wasn't afraid to be myself. Uh, and I, I tried to use as many like personal stories as I could. Uh, I know a lot of people in interviews get, they get nervous and like, well, how's this going to apply? But just start talking and try to find some common ground with your interviewee. So I had my boss uh, initially, I had another uh, senior director, and then I had a group group by excuse me group vice president um, interview me all at the same time, and that was tough. I mean, it was uh, <laughs> it was not fun, but because I had that kind of you know unique experience with the the lobby and you know whatever else, that, you know my character I think shown through because I had nothing else, you know, to do at that point, but mm-hmm. to be charming. So nice. Nice. So you've got the job now. You, you find out a few days later, Hey, congratulations, Nate. You're, uh, you're hired. Yeah. Um, so you go to work, you, I'm sure telling Callaway it's over was, was a tough thing. Yeah. Yeah. It was tough. And, uh, you never know what's happening in the organization. Um, so one of our top guys who handled what we call mass margins, he actually left the same, he left the morning before I did. And so they, the, the day before they were making plans for me to get promoted and take <laughs> a new count and all this stuff. And they're like, you're seriously leaving? I'm like, yeah. Like, well, Kevin just announced his resume. I'm like, Oh my gosh, <laughs> the two people, the two people that knew, um, retail link, which is a, a Walmart proprietary system. The two people in the entire company put their, uh, two weeks in within a day of each other. And that was, I mean, it was tough. I mean, but I knew that, you know, what I had coming was the right thing I needed to do. So. Well, we've got just a little bit of time left here, Nate. I'm going to go yeah. through these ones quick here. These are some job specific questions. Like what, what personality traits do you think are important for this type of job? Or skill sets, I should say. Yeah. yeah, I think you need to be 
Um, you need to be smart, obviously. Right. Uh, you, you need to be analytical. So from even though it's sales and it seems, you know, pretty elementary, if you have really great, you know, pivot table and Excel skills, um, you separate yourself pretty quickly and you build a lot of credibility with your customer. And so I would say, don't be afraid to be, um, you know, analytical in a sales role. I, obviously, you've got a lot of great parts about this job. You mentioned some of the perks earlier. I I assume the fun uh, getting out there on the boat is one of the best parts of the job. A- any other great parts that stand out to you? And also, are there any uh, negative parts of the job? So, <clears throat> I'll start with the negative. Um, you know, the, if anyone's owned a boat on this podcast, they know that things, they're not always... Uh, set up for success so the boating industry has a a really low ceiling in terms of customer customer satisfaction Um, and I do get a lot of weekend phone calls of like hey this trolling motor that puts itself in the water and takes stuff out of the water it's not working or uh, my I just turn on my my fish finder and it just went to a black screen so there's a lot of like troubleshooting stuff and we have to be ready for that. I mean, it's like any other consumer electronic, like nothing is a hundred percent perfect. Uh, that's the bad part. The other great part is there are some times when you give someone like just this very basic tip and it totally works. So you say, uh, you know, reset your, your fish finder for three seconds and, and hit this button and then boom, you're going to be fine. And when that happens, it's like you say, I mean, you literally save people's weekends, uh, in our business, because we're in the Midwest and, you know, it's obviously time constrained. The average, you know, uh, what we call avid fisherman has five weekends a year to get on the water. Mm. So if you're able, if you're able to help him salvage one of those weekends, I mean, you're a hero. That's huge, yeah. So, yeah. Um, did you ever, do you have like a mentor or maybe somebody who helped you get to where you are today or helped you throughout your career? So I've always, I've always said I've had like many mentors. So whatever situation I'm in, I kind of, I get a little uh, mentor for, for that bucket. So when I first started at Callaway, and, and believe it or not, like I was right out of college and, and doing that sales operations job and Glenn Hickey, even though he was, um, on the East coast and, 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 and sales, and I was not, I just looked up to him because he, he seemed like a no nonsense, you know, kind of guy. And, uh, I respected him for that. And then oddly enough, when I took my second job at Callaway, uh, he was my direct boss, and I, I still admired him for what he did. And then when I went to the, uh, you know, direct consumer uh, business at Callaway, Tom Barnett was a huge influencer, same same as Randy Barella uh, and Seth Aikman. All three of those guys together, um, you, you know, there are a lot of people that are willing to mentor you. You just got to be willing to listen and you know, don't be afraid to be dumb. I, and, and Ryan, you'll, you'll attest to this. I guess when I came in those first couple of years, like I had no idea what I was doing, but I, I just wanted to be around the process and be around people that did know what they were doing, whether it was Shanae or Allison or Phil, I just, I kind of absorbed their knowledge. Not that I'm to their equal, but you just, you get this feeling of comfort around those people and, and they really do uh, impact your, your, your brain significantly. Question. Funny. You should mention Tom Barnett um, that for the first time ever on this show, I, I reached out to uh, some people from your past and tried to get us uh, some mailbag questions. And uh, so yeah. for the first time ever, here's the mailbag feature and Tom Barnett was kind enough uh, to submit a question here. I, I, and I uh, don't mean to put you on the spot, but this is a pretty good one. Mm. He says, 
as a corporate veteran, I think you know how important internal relationships are to career advancement. Maybe you can share your strategy on navigating large company parties. Okay. Well, that was, <laughs> that was a very interesting question. <laughs> um, so I think it's, um, it's kind of a twofold answer, right? You have to understand and you have to believe and build support for what you're going to fight for internally is the right thing to do. So as an example, uh, I spent a lot of time with Tom and Randy and Seth, and I learned about that, you know, the culture conflict or whatever between Austin and Carlsbad. And I took from that, that Austin actually knew a lot more what they were talking about than, than Carlsbad did. And so that helped me shape all of my discussions internally uh, between the people that it affected directly and indirectly. But, you know, I think the bigger picture is that's a, it's a very strategic thing to do. Like if, if you're going to fight a, a big battle, you need to make sure you know, you know, who the soldiers are basically. Right. And I would say that's the best advice I can give is, Find the veterans. So in my case, Tom, Randy, Seth, Allison, Shanae, and then build that case against who you're fighting against. And, and at the end of the day, in, in a corporate culture, you're all trying to do the same thing. But there are a lot of competing interests. Um, so that, <laughs> that would be my advice for someone who's in the middle of everything. Like I've been several times. Uh, listen and, you know, make your, make your assessment on who's right. And then fight for the one who's right. Wow. I I totally misinterpreted that question. I I thought Tom was literally talking about like a a company Christmas party or something, how you navigate the the party. (laughs) Well, yeah, you always give iPads, just give iPads. Uh uh You'll be golden. (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) Well, uh, Nate, I'll give you an opportunity here to maybe give a little plug for your, your business. Uh, Johnson Outdoors is a family-owned company from uh, early 1970s, and uh, Minn Kota Trilling Motors and Humber Fish Finders are what I uh, are my most important assets. Uh, I know we have some listeners, uh, Bruce Marger and uh, oh crap, I forgot his name, uh, uh, Dabrinsky, Dave, mm, yeah, uh, Dobe, yeah, he's gonna he loves all this stuff. Ultimately, we try to make fishing uh, the most fun it can be, and that's it's it's been a huge blessing on my life to to be able to put people in you know with equipment that makes one of their hobbies more fun than it already is. And uh, Ryan, I appreciate your your time and and your friendship, and uh, I wish you all the best with this podcast. And uh, if you're ever in the Midwest. You know, Indiana area. I know you're doing a big road trip. Uh, I could take you out on the boat, show you all this, how this equipment works. Oh, that's great. Well, I really appreciate that. I, I'll be up in the Midwest soon enough. I don't know if I'll be in Indiana, but uh, next time I'm, I am up there, I am uh, absolutely going to look you up. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thanks again to today's guest and good friend, Nate Stout. So glad to hear that all is going well with you, sir. And uh, great to catch up with you after these last few years. Uh, I'm certainly going to take you up on that offer. If I ever get to Indiana, we'll go out on the lake sometime. And uh, hey, best of luck to your wife in her campaign for mayor. And thanks to all of you for listening to Wow, How'd You Get That Job? You can connect with this show on Twitter at Podcast. If you'd like to be a future guest on the show, just tweet at me. Hey, it's great free publicity for your business. Also, be sure to check out my wife and I's parenting podcast is that right my wife and i's my and my me and my wife's i don't know i don't know how you correctly say but be sure to check out our podcast parental settings which is a i I stress non-advice parenting podcast we just sit down and kind of hash over everything that's going on and uh maybe you can commiserate maybe you can get something out of it i don't know it's just kind of fun for us so Go ahead and take a listen. It's available anywhere you can find a podcast. That's Parental Settings. Um, 
I think that's it for this time. Again, thanks to Mr. Nate Stout, and uh, I'll be looking forward to having you listen again in the future. I've got some pretty interesting guests coming up, including a hairstylist and a, a real podcaster, not a hobbyist, but somebody who actually managed to make a living out of it. Um, it's not the person from Serial. It's not Sarah Katie. It's someone else. Um, thanks for listening. Brian Glanzer signing off. <laughs>